what a wonderful day that we have had in the house of the Lord today. Amen? It's been just a good day. It really has. I mean, you start from the morning time to Bible fellowship classes to singing the great songs of the faith this morning and to hearing great uh, sermon and then going out on ministry visits and then coming back and seeing our kids and our uh, youth choir and baptisms. It's just been a good day. So we're going to rest in that and we're going to enjoy that. And we're going to dive in tonight. Hopefully I'm not going to ruin it uh, at this point. But uh, if I do, you've had a good day so far. So, um, so we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 3. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Jonah chapter 2, and we had Jonah's prayer. And for those of you who uh, maybe this is your first time hearing about Jonah, what we know about Jonah is that he was called to go to the Ninevite nation and preach a message of repentance to the Ninevites. Jonah deliberately disobeys. Dad, you familiar with that term, deliberately disobeyed? Maybe that was just my dad. When you know you really messed up, when you deliberately disobeyed your dad, nobody else, I guess it was just my dad who would disobey, and there was that deliberate disobeyment that was really something else, right? That would get you some, some time out time in a heartbeat. When you deliberately disobeyed, there is Jonah in the middle of his deliberately disobeying God, where he flees for Tarshish, he finds himself at the bottom of a boat, a big storm comes, and he is thrown overboard to calm the storm, and there God's submarine in the form of a big fish comes and swallows him up. Jonah's going to have this redemption baptism kind of moment in the belly of a big fish, and we found ourselves two weeks ago finding Jonah being spit up on dry land. And so this is where we find our hero, hero Jonah, getting this command from the Lord. So if you would, would you follow along with me in Jonah chapter 3, and let's start in verse 1. And we got 10 verses and 5 points, and so we'll see what we can uh, do tonight. Chapter 3 of verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and set in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from the... Uh, his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray together. Dear Father, God, we want you to fill us. We don't want to leave this place having just had a good day of worship and singing and learning. God, we want to leave this place just radiating your glory and your gospel to all people that we come in contact with. God, we want it to, don't want it to be head knowledge. We want it to reach our heart, our hands, our feet, and our mouth. God, teach us from Jonah, from chapter 1 to chapter 3 to where he is now. Teach us, guide us, and let your word be a lamp unto our feet. 
and a light into our path. Father, we love you and thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see and that should jump out on the page is verse 1. You see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You see that this is Jonah's second chance. Now, if you know much about Jonah's story, you know that he is going to be given a remarkable and wonderful second chance. Is anybody in this room thankful for the Lord's second chances in your life? I see a couple amens. I see a couple handshakes. But yes, we are thankful for the Lord's second chances in our life. I mean, God has been so good and faithful to each one of us to give us second chance. And maybe some of you are on your third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth and so on, right? We are thankful for the Lord's goodness to give us a second and third chance. But you and I are not the only people that the Lord has chosen to give a second chance to. You look through the, the pages of God's word and you see a lot of people who are in a lot of messes and God is gracious despite their mess. I mean, look at a few if you would. You've got uh, our king, David. Right? David took some turns, right, with Bathsheba. And even with Bathsheba, that turned into the murder of Uriah. And this guy, David, deserved not to be in the situation or purpose that he's in. He deserved to be cut off from his royal duty because of his sin. But did God give David a second chance? This is the part where you would say yes. <laughs> Gracious me. Okay. Paul, the persecutor of the church, this man who attacked the church, who went after the church, we're thankful that the Lord gave Paul a second chance and didn't say, this guy's too far gone. He's committed too many atrocities against my church. I can't use him. What did the Lord do but use him to write almost the entire New Testament and do mighty and great things? Is it just those two? Nope, there's more. Moses, a murderer, murdered people in Israel, and there did God use him for mighty and amazing things to lead his people out of captivity? Yes, he did. Did Peter do anything that he deserved not to be used in mighty ways? Yes, Peter denied the very fact that he knew his Jesus. Did God say, oh, Peter, you have denied, and so you are no longer fit for my kingdom? It didn't happen. God gave Peter a second chance, and Peter was used in mighty ways. Was John Mark, when he deserted, did he say, well, you deserted, you're no longer needed? No, God used John Mark, and God still uses you and me, even though we fall short on a daily basis. Moment by moment, sometimes hour by hour, we fall short, but God still continues to use us for mighty, mighty ways. And so if you may be finding yourself in Jonah chapter 1 with an opportunity or maybe you're finding yourself in Jonah chapter 3 with an opportunity. We are thankful. Oh, we are thankful that God gives second chances. We're thankful that we have not yet found the end of God's grace. We have not exhausted the grace of God that he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And we have not yet found the end of God's grace. And guess what? If you are in Christ, you will not find the end of God's grace. But let me just caution us for a moment. Because I think at times we get so just maybe numb to the goodness and maybe we just, God's grace is so good and God's grace is so sufficient for us that at times we just believe, well, I've messed up again and so God's grace is going to be there or I'm just going to mess up again because God's grace is going to be there or I'm going to wait for my second chance or I'm just going to live for my second chance. Paul talks about this, should I just sin more so that grace would abound more? And he says, by no means, right? We don't live as people who say, you know what? I'm just going to live for my second chance. Right? Look what Jonah did. Right? Jonah deliberately disobeyed the Lord, and look what he walked through, the, the suffering that he experienced in the belly of a well and the ship that was ready to break apart. We don't want to have to go through what Jonah went through to obey the Lord. And I can tell you, it is far better when God calls you to obey to obey. 
And so we're thankful. We're thankful that God gives us second chances. But please hear me say, let's not live as people waiting for our second and third chance. Let's embrace the chances that God gives us. And so let's then move to our second point on your outline as Jonah's got a second chance. But here in verse 2, Jonah has his opportunity to obey. Verse 2, God comes to Jonah and says this a second time. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. If you recall, this is the exact same wording that God uses in Jonah chapter 1. Hey, Jonah, get up, arise, and go to Nineveh. Here in chapter 3, he is going to say the exact same thing. Jonah, arise, go to the Ninevites, and preach the message that I tell you. God's word does not change. This message that he gives to Jonah, it does not change. What changes in this equation is Jonah. All right, this is Jonah's opportunity to obey. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and tells him exactly what he's called to do. And this is Jonah's opportunity for him to obey. And do you know that you and I, every day when we wake up and we open our word, when we come to church and we hear sermons and we sing songs and sit in Bible fellowship classes, when we hear the word of God, it always comes down to our opportunity. Will we obey? We have a choice in our reading, in our study, in our listening. And it's our choice. Will we obey? See, this is Jonah's opportunity. The only thing that changes from chapter 1 to chapter 3 is God's message and his command stays the same. God's word has stayed the same for generation upon generation upon generation. God's word does not change. The question is, will we obey it? I'm sure I've told this analogy before, but there is no better analogy that I've ever heard than Francis Chan's old analogy when he was talking to his kids and he says, son, go clean your room. The son comes back a while later and says, hey, dad, I memorized what you said. You said, go clean your room. Do you think the dad was like, yes, you've done it. You've memorized what I've told you. This is good. Thank you. Or do you think he just says, hey, son, just go clean your room. The son goes back and later he comes back and said, hey, dad, I got a group of all my friends. We gathered in my room and we talked about what it would look like if we did clean our room came back and do you think the dad would say, oh joy, you've done what I've wanted, you've talked about it, or do you think the dad would say, son, just go clean your room. The son goes back and he he comes back to the dad and said, dad, I've gone to school and I've learned how to say what you said in the Greek language and it's good, I've learned how to say it, it's so good. Do you think the father would say, thank you, son, that's what I wanted to hear, or do you think the father would simply say, son, go clean your room. And here God's calling Jonah and just saying, my prophet, go to the Ninevites and preach this message that I've given you. And friends, as we open our word, as we hear sermons and as we study God's word and let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, the question always comes down to not do we know it, not do we have rational knowledge of it, but will we obey it? This is the hardest question. It's easy to talk about it, man. We can have the best Bible studies and we can talk day after day after moment after moment, but the hard part hits the road the minute you walk out the back of this sanctuary and you get into your car and you head home. That's when your choices start coming. When you get to work on Monday morning and your boss is not the boss that should hear this sermon this morning or this evening and you just want to get frustrated and the question is, will you obey the things that God has called you to? So here's our third point here is Jonah's opportunity to obey, and we move into what is Jonah's message. 
the end of verse 2, you see Jonah is called to call out the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is Jonah's message to the Ninevite people. Repent. Believe on the name of Jesus, on, on God. Now this is incredibly interesting because God never calls Jonah to save the Ninevite people. He never calls Jonah to go and say, Jonah, you have to save all the Ninevite nation. Your calling is to go and save everybody. What is Jonah's calling other than to share the message that God has already given him? It's the same calling that you and I have. Our calling is not to save everyone that we come in contact with. Our calling is to simply share the message that God has given us. The greatest thing I heard in seminary was simply these words, we share the gospel, God saves the people. That's our calling. And so take the weight of responsibility off yourself that you have to go around and save every person that you talk to. Your job is not to save everyone, but your job is to share with everyone. And so we've got the message right here. Jonah has clearly said that God has said to you, I will tell you this message, tell out the message that I give you. And we have the gospel story that Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless and perfect life. He died in your place and my place. Our sin was too great. We could not save ourselves. And so we had to have another in his name is Jesus. We have the good news message of the gospel, and our calling, again, is not to save the people. Our calling is to share the gospel. And so take this weight of responsibility as you go. When people reject the gospel, when people say, I don't want that, or I'm not ready for that, or when people reject the gospel, know that your work has been done simply in the sharing, in the planting of the seeds, in the going and sharing and telling and simply, the message that we are called is the message to share the good news, to open our mouths and to love people to Jesus. But the Ninevite people are not quite the people that we think or that Jonah would think would come to faith. If we're honest with ourselves, as we look at the Ninevites, as we review their story in chapter 1 and then chapter 3 and even in chapter 4, we see that the Ninevite people are not people that we think would ever come to faith. What does it say about the Ninevite people? They are good at their sin, they're evil, they're violent, they're pagans, they don't like the Lord, and they are very anti-God. These are not people that you're going to roll up to and just say, hey, repent, and you're going to believe, right? These are bad people. These are the people in your mind, if you could, don't say them out loud, okay? Don't please, don't say them out loud. The people in your mind, that if you're sitting here today, you would think that person would never come to faith. I hope you don't think like that, but these are the people that just maybe even nations out there that you think they're just so against Christianity and so against the gospel, they would never come to faith. This is like the Ninevite people. They're evil. They hate God. They're evil people. They revel in their, their sin. And yet these are the very people that God wants to redeem. Let me, let me remind you two verses, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, toward all of us, not wishing that any should perish. Let me go back for a second because I want to make sure you caught that keyword. Not wishing any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. These words, any and all, are critical. All people would reach repentance, that all people would be saved. The Lord desires all people, even the Ninevites, the worst of the worst. This is who Jonah is called to go to, the worst of the worst, to be saved, which means that all people God wants to be saved. 
Even your worst enemy, the people in your homes that you think could never come to faith, these are the people that God wants to save. So our calling is to share and show the message with even the people that we think could never, ever come to faith. God wants all people. And then he follows it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3 through 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So let me ask you, do you believe that all people can be saved. The people in your, maybe your son or daughter who has gone wayward, and you think, God, where have they gone? They're just never going to come back to the faith. Know that the Lord knows their name and wants their salvation. The people on the far ends of this earth who we feel like we are against in all ways, the Lord wants to redeem them, and he wants to save them. Your coworkers, you think they are so far gone, there is no way. The Lord wants to redeem them, and he wants them to come to faith. So friends, our message is that we share the gospel and God saves the people. And so friends, we pray, we get on our knees and we pray for the hearts and souls of people and we share the message diligently and with urgency. But our calling is simply to share. Our calling is to share the message and God saves the people. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So friends, this is good news that we can share with other people. And then what is Nineveh's Nineveh's response? Verses 5 through 9, we see this incredible tale of Nineveh's response to Jonah's message. It says, the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And then the king would issue a decree from the greatest to the least, would put on sackcloth, and they would put on ash, and they would repent of their sins. Nineveh's response is they are going to repent. And why would they repent? It says right here is because they believed God. Jonah's message was to tell them that if they did not repent, they would be overthrown and they would be led to destruction. And what some commentators would call the greatest revival that has taken place in history happened right here in Nineveh. Amongst the people that we did not think would come to faith, come to faith in the greatest revival, hundreds and thousands of people come to faith and they repent of their sins. On this moment, I know that this word repentant and repent is a big church word that we use a lot, but it is critical in our understanding of what this Christ-like life is all about. When Jonah shares this message, this message goes into direct contrary nature to who they are. Jonah's telling them things that are directly contrary to the way they're living their lives, and so they believe God, and they change because of it. And I want to give us a litmus test of our faith right now. Do you grieve over your sin? Do you grieve over your sin? When you have bitterness, jealousy, and anger, and rage, and lust, and hate in your heart, when it comes out in actions, friends, do you grieve over your sin? As Christians, if we can sin and not grieve, there is a grave problem in our souls. See, we see the seriousness by which God calls out and distastes sin in our life. So let me ask you again. Friends, if you were to just close your eyes for a moment, just examine your heart and look deep into your heart. As you live in this world and as you sin and fall short, as you fall short of the glory of God, as you make mistakes, does your heart grieve over your sin? If we live in a way that we tear people down, as we hurt other people, as we lust, and as we have jealousy in our heart, and as we just do things that are so contrary to the nature of God, and as we come into contact with God's word, does it grieve us to our core? You see that the Ninevites, 
it grieved to their core. From the king to the lowliest of low servants in the land, they put on sackcloth and ash, and they grieved over their sins so much that they changed their ways. So repentance involves looking at our sin with realism and saying, yes, I am sinned and fallen short, but it also means I've got to change because of this new knowledge. So the question is, as we read God's word, as we study God's word, yes, will we obey it, but will we, will we change when we fi- find things in our heart and in our souls that is not contrary, that is not running parallel to God's word? I tell you, in my own life, I can tell you that my deepest valleys come when I sin and simply just don't care. I need brothers and sisters alongside me to help me up and say, Mark, this is a red flag in your heart, and it certainly is. Friends, I'll ask you, in the quietness of your quiet time tomorrow morning or tonight as you fall asleep and as you think on this message tonight, examine your heart. And if we grieve, if we sin without grief, there is a problem deep in our hearts, and we need to understand, do we see God's hatred over sin and his distaste over sin, and will we change because of it? And then let's get to the highlight of this scripture that the Ninevites, they repent, they turn from their evil ways. In verse 10, this high point of scripture, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the good news of the gospel for all of us, that if we repent of our sin, if we turn from our evil ways, if we admit that we have fallen short, if we turn to Jesus, then the, the death that we are due does not come on us. Jesus takes us from the pit that we deserve, the pit that we deserve because of our sin. He takes us out of it, and the disaster that is due you and me because of our sin, when we turn to Jesus, that disaster is no more. This is the good news of the gospel that we are called to share with other people. Here, you see it in verse 10, when God saw what they did, not that they did all these shows of putting on sackcloth and ash, but they turned from their evil ways, and God relented. Friends, this is such good news. That we serve a God that did not point his finger at us and say, get it right, Jonah. Get it right, Mark. If you sin one time, you are out of this picture. He gives a second chance, and he saves us from all of our sins, and he picks us up and says, keep going. This is the God that we serve, that God is good. He took a prophet of disobedience to a disobedient people, and he gave both of them grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, and that grace is for you, and it's for me. So here I'll tell you, if you don't know this Jesus who gives grace, who takes us from the pit of our sin, rescues us out of it, and picks us up, and gives us a second chance, and says, go. I've got good things for you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Say, tonight would be a good night to know him. Let me pray for you. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us Jonah chapter 3. That we look at a prophet who deliberately disobeyed your command. But you did not leave him in the belly of a fish or at the bottom of the ocean, but you picked him up and you said, go, Jonah, go to the Ninevites and preach this message and I am with you. Thank you that you have done the same thing for each of us in this room, that even though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, you have picked us up and made us whole by the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that we never grow tired of just reveling in your grace that it never becomes old or we never become numb to what you have done for us on the cross. Father, I pray that this message that we are called to give, that 
we are just called to share your good news with people would be ever present on our hearts, our minds, and our lips. Father, we love you and we thank you for your son Jesus and it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.